Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets that are important to you. Folks, you're listening to the People Are the Enemy podcast. I'm the host of the show. My name is Andy Mascola. If you're looking for a podcast that you can count on to be there for you every single week, I am your guy. The first episode of People Are the Enemy went live on Monday, January 1st, 2018, and we've posted at least one brand new episode every week since then. At the end of next month, this show will be five years old. I'm proud of the entertainment we've provided, and I look forward to doing this show for you until I physically can't. If you're a long-time listener of People Are the Enemy, you most likely know what to expect when you tune in. But newer listeners may not be as familiar with what we do here. So let me break it down for you real quick. During my segment, I'll sometimes speak with an interesting creative person. Other times, it's just me talking with you, sharing personal anecdotes and playing clips I found that I think are either entertaining or enlightening or sometimes both. In the past, I've been known to prepare funny bits, read fiction to you that I've written, and I've even occasionally broadcast from the bathtub. Earlier this year, we added a new segment that follows mine called Rachel's Chart Chat, in which our friend Rachel from Des Moines finds musical gems in pop charts from the 1970s and 1980s, plays clips of the songs, and shares fun trivia about the artists. There have never been any ads on People Are the Enemy, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love the show and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily and get yourself or the reader in your life some excellent fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my books. I'm the author of 10 self-published novels that are currently available worldwide in both paperback and ebook formats via Amazon. And if you don't use Amazon, you can find all of my titles in ebook format at Google Play. Just search my last name. M-A-S-C-O-L-A. That's how you'll find me on Google Play. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. People Are the Enemy listeners, this is episode 256 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you for spending time with me. Thank you for checking it out. I've got some fun stuff to talk with you about today. And uh, right now, I thought I'd start the show off with uh, The Smile. This is that um, Radiohead project. When I, and when I say Radiohead project, I mean the spin-off project with Tom York and Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And they enlisted this fella, Tom Skinner, to play drums. It's quite good. This is a track called The Smoke. And I was like, oh my god, this is so good. I gotta play, I gotta start the show with this. Listen to this. Right? 
This gives you a good idea of the band, too, if you haven't heard the album. What a groove, right? There's our boy. Immediately recognizable. Alright, before I get sued, I'm gonna try to pod this down slowly. Fade it out. Yeah, my wife got me that for my birthday. It was my birthday this past weekend. Thank you for all the birthday wishes and belated wishes. I'm much appreciated. Uh, I am, uh, I, you know, I don't have a lot of vanities. I don't have, like, you know, vanity about my hair, which I've lost most of. <laughs> the hair on my head, that is. You know, I don't have car vanity. I drive a very old car. I've never been, like, a car guy. Um, yeah, but I, I do, the, if there's any vanity I have, I have a little bit of age vanity. I really don't, uh, I don't care to give my age, if only because I, I feel like uh, it alienates me, you know, from, from certain people. And, and and I'd say the same thing when I was a younger man, you know, it would it would alienate me from, from you know, people that were much older than myself. If I'd wanted to hang out with, with, uh, with people who are older and into different things that maybe uh, people my own age at that time weren't into, I'd feel like my age would, would alienate me, you know, if they knew how old I was, or how old I wasn't, more specifically. And now that I'm older, you know, I'm a man of a certain age, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer, I'm in my 40s, that's fair to say, <laughs> and I don't mind saying at least that much, um, but, uh, you know, I don't care to, I don't care to give my age out, you know, it's just not something I, I, I do, I mean, you can find it, if you look me up online, I'm a... I have a, a profile on Goodreads where you can see my age if you absolutely need to know. <laughs> I don't know why you would. But, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's again, it's something that I feel more or less, especially now that I'm, I'm older, uh, it alienates me from, from other people. And I feel like they, they maybe treat you differently if they know that you're a certain age, where they feel like, oh, well, you won't be able to relate to this. Or... Or, uh, in some cases, again, uh, people who are older than me, they'll, they'll assume that I will have no knowledge of a certain thing that uh, may be only appealing to an older demographic. And that's, that's usually not true. And, and you know, you know I, I, I walk the walk and talk the talk. I, I try not to ask folks their age, you know. You know, I, I, I'll get a feel for things. You know, I don't think anybody gets a feel for somebody's uh, demographic. When you speak with them, you kind of get a feel for, okay, I kind of understand where this person's coming from, and I, I kind of have a feeling of looking at them where they may be on the uh, on the age scale, but uh, but I'm going to try not to treat them as such and just treat them like a person. You know, I think that's that's what, what we need to do. You know, I don't think... Uh, I don't think it's right to prejudge based on age, and, and uh, again, if, if I have any vanity, I suppose I have age vanity, but of course I'm not hiding it, and there's nothing I can do to stop it, it's just a, a fact, I suppose, right? Your age is your age, you you know, you can try to disguise it, but uh, but you are however old you are. And so, But it doesn't get me down, you know, I had a very nice birthday, I, I literally just finished the last piece, the last piece, the last... The last piece of birthday cake. My wife made me a very lovely birthday cake. She's an excellent baker. She uh, she said, uh, what would you like? I said, well, my first choice would be an orange cake with vanilla frosting. And this is a cake I'd had for a few years in a row uh, while my wife and I had been together. And initially, she'd had no knowledge of an orange cake. But yeah, I said, you can get it. There's orange cake out there. And there is. There's orange, there's strawberry, there's lemon cake. You can find all sorts of, uh, all sorts of cakes. 
but my first choice this year was an orange cake because uh, orange cake with vanilla frosting it's almost like an orange creamsicle it's really really great and i'm the kind of person who likes a thick layer of frosting i like a, i like the crunchy heavy you know vanilla frosting that's my that's my jam right there any frosting will do but uh but that's my go-to, at least at least uh, for the last handful of years. That's what I've, what I've really dug. But she could not find any orange cake mix this year, so we went with chocolate. And when I say we, I meant her. <laughs> she made me a lovely uh, chocolate cake with thick vanilla frosting. And uh, I ate the bulk of it. And, uh, and I, I brought a piece to my mother. I brought a piece to my father. Over the weekend, I saw them. Um, and, of course, my wife and I and daughter had some of the cake and... Uh, and I finished the last of it tonight, just before I I turned on turned on the mic here and began speaking with you to give me a little bit of of pep. <laughs> but yeah, it was very good. So it was it was a very good birthday I, and uh, a very nice Thanksgiving also. I hope you you folks are doing well. If you celebrated the holiday, I hope you had a great holiday. Uh, I hope everything is going well in your world. Last week of last week of Thanksgiving. Yeah, the uh, the holiday season is among us. I don't uh, I don't know what you celebrate, whatever you celebrate. I, I don't know if you decorate, but uh, I ended up getting the tree out last year. In our household, we celebrate Christmas, and uh, I uh, I we have a fake tree in the basement that we've uh, we're nervous to bring up, if only because we have a puppy and we thought that uh, she might tear it apart. <laughs> and uh, we brought the tree up, and she kind of looked at it like, oh, okay, all right, the forest is inside. That's kind of cool. There's a tree inside the house. And I set it up, and, and she's been great about it, you know. I, 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 did, catch her, I did catch her eating an ornament. <laughs> but that's the worst I could say. I, I took it away before she, she uh, demolished it too badly and, and put it up on the tree at a higher place where she couldn't get at it. I am, I am not into decorating. I, uh, again, I will help set up the tree. I will, uh, I will do the lights. I will put the skirt around it. And I will, I will bring all the uh, decorations and ornaments and whatnot in the boxes from the basement upstairs. And, uh, but I am, that it doesn't do anything for me. I don't know if it's laziness. I don't know if it's just, it feels like too much work. I don't know if I, uh, am concerned about, uh, you know, my place in the, uh, in, in the creative aspect of decorating the house. I just, uh, I just do not care to do it. And, and my, but fortunately my wife and daughter do enjoy it and they'll put on Christmas music and they'll decorate the house. They'll, they'll decorate the tree, etc. My wife collects nutcrackers. They're like an army of them now. They're all on top of the entertainment center, center and it's very hard for uh, for me to get to the cable box with the remote control. If you can picture that, <laughs> gotta kind of like gotta kind of like hold my arm up in a certain angle just to just to get it. And speaking of TV, uh, this week is like that that free uh, our cable system. Uh, I won't mention their name because because uh, they canned my ass. <laughs> Oh no, you know, I worked for a big I worked for a big telecommunications company for a long long time and uh and uh this was a while back that they let me go as you know if you may have been listening to the show for a while. But it, regardless, they they did that kind of the free week where they open up the channels and you can try different, you know, shows and different uh different movies and there were things that I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch that Nicolas Cage movie, uh the one where you know, it's meta where he plays himself um the, the uh 
what was it, the, the massive weight of immense talent or whatever the heck it's called, and I was so turned off. Like, initially it started well, like, he has a huge ego, and they're playing up that aspect of it, and uh, obviously he's playing a caricature of himself, assumedly, because his ego was out of control. That was kind of funny, but then they pulled out guns, and as soon as I see guns, I am just not, I just do not need to see that, man. I do not like guns. I don't dig guns. I, I understand guns in fiction. I... I, I can appreciate guns in, in, in certain fiction. I understand um, the use of them, but uh, but uh, gun violence is it, it just does it especially now with with all that we're dealing with in society in America. It's just uh, even in fiction in some aspects, and and especially where it's supposed to be like a comedy, because that was supposed to be like an action slash comedy movie, and and uh, guns just take me out of it. It's there's nothing humorous I, that I see about somebody hurt getting hurt with a with a weapon like that. Uh, I don't like it. I, so I, I, I found myself tuning out eventually. The other film I tried to watch was uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, it, which had been, you know, critically acclaimed, got a lot of great, great uh, write-ups, great reviews. I can understand why. It's, 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 there's a, such an amount of huge work put into this, and the acting is outstanding, uh, but the special effects are, are incredible. And uh, and I liked it, if only because, you know, the, there were guns in it. It's not that there were, but the guns were held by the bad people, you know what I mean? And uh, the good guys didn't use the guns, you know what I mean? And it was sort of like uh, guns were kind of, the people who were using guns were made to look foolish. So I kind of like that, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it was an okay film. It was, uh, if you've seen it, not to spoil anything, but it's it's based on multiple universes, uh, this seems to be a new trend in entertainment, whether it's Rick and Morty or whether it's uh, the Marvel Universe and uh, Sp the Spider-Man movies and the multiverse and everything. And now everything everywhere all at once deals with multiple universes. It's an interesting concept. I, I, I like the fact that we've advanced to, as a society to a place where, you know, you can you can kind of you can kind of just throw this, uh, you know, um, Pseudo-science fiction, I say pseudo, I understand, like, you know, you know it, it's not provable that there are multiple universes, but, you know, you can kind of throw this concept at uh, at uh, the public, and they will accept it, and they will go along with it, you know what I mean? And obviously, it's a, it's a great trope, you can have a lot of fun with it if you've got ridiculous universes. Like, one of the things in this Everything Everywhere All at Once was, like, there was a universe where everybody had uh, uh, hot dogs for fingers. <laughs> Was, that was kind of funny, right? So yeah, that was it. Was it was an okay film? It was all right. Uh, what else have I I tried to watch? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm trying to think. There, there. The one thing that I came across that I haven't been able to re re find is I saw that that Foo Fighters horror movie that those fellas made, uh, and I was I was kind of curious, but I I I came across it and skipped over it, and I haven't been able to find it. But we've got the the uh, the packages open for another couple of days, so maybe I'll I'll see if I can track it down. Uh, you know, I, 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 I want to talk a little bit about music. I found this, uh, this really, really, uh, kind of, uh, interesting artist on TikTok who calls himself, uh, what does he call himself? Classics Jones. And, and, and if you're looking for this guy, he spells his name K-L-A-S-S-I-X Jones. And he does original songs, but one thing he also does, which I thought was kind of cool, uh, is he takes like, um... Harder songs like punk songs and heavy metal songs, and he makes R and B versions of them. Yeah. So, so the first the first thing I saw him do was an R and B version of System of a Down's Chop Suey, and I was like, oh my god, this is this is wild and funny and uh, actually kind of kind of amazing. So, 
If you don't know System of a Down song, Chop Suey, I'm going to play a little bit of it for you here just to give you a taste so you can get a feel for the original. And then I'm going to play for you Classics Jones' version of Chop Suey, his R&B version. So here's, here's a little bit, and I, I, I cut ahead a little bit into the song uh, because there is a little bit of uh, uh, instrumental opening. But you've got a taste for the lyrics now, and as soon as you hear it, you'll say, oh, that song. Yeah, if you were alive in the 90s, you'll probably remember this song, Chop Suey, if you listened at all to all alternative terrestrial radio. Here, here's System of a Down's Chop Suey, the original. you ever heard um, the best show with Tom Sharpling? You'll know Sharpling has fun with that song often. <laughs> he talks about he talks about trying it at karaoke and how it's uh, nearly impossible <laughs> for good reason. Uh, okay, anyway, here's Classics Jones' version of that song again. System of a Down's Chop Suey. This is the his R and B version. Check this out here. good right <laughs> if you like that there's a lot more where that came from yeah again that's kind of his thing he seems to take these harder rock songs and uh and metal anthems and punk songs and and uh basically slow jams them <laughs> turning them into uh r&b hits oddly enough the lyrics are so ambiguous in that song that it kind of works you know <laughs> i mean they're not singing about anything like you know, it's, it's it's I guess it's enough to like project upon those lyrics uh, yourself. That that it, and again, they're they're for the most part, uh, you know, ambiguous and unassuming. Like that, it kind of works. Interesting, interesting guy, Classics Jones. If you're interested, you can you can find that guy on TikTok. Uh, I am going to hand things off to our friend Rachel from Des Moines with the chart chat. So take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Last week, I realized that I put a song on the playlist that I forgot to talk about. It was a Thompson Twins song called The Gap. And that last week, it was at number 76. It would get to number 69. And I first became aware of this song from when they were on Saturday Night Live from October 6th of 1984. 
when NBC used to run those old ones at like two in the morning on Saturday or Sunday mornings. I only remembered the chorus, which was East is East, West is West, which I thought that was the title of the song. It's not. It's The Gap. Probably why I could never find it again. You can actually watch that performance on archive.org if you like. There's a lot of old SNL stuff on there. Um, so that one, it's a little, a little iffy kind of cultural wise. Maybe they thought they were doing world music. I'm not sure, but it's a good one from Thompson Twins. So I just want to thank everyone who listened last week. I got some nice comments from my fellow 70s fan, Tony, and from Mongoose fan, Tavy. And thanks also to Dave from Knoxville for making People Are the Enemy part of your Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Our 70s chart this week is from November 16th of 1974. And starting off at number 69 is Never Can Say Goodbye by Gloria Gaynor. This will make it to number nine. Uh, This song, you may know, is originally by the Jackson 5. This was the second single off of Gloria's first album, and it was her first to chart. And it was actually her highest charting single until her signature song, Don't Leave Me This Way. For me, I can say that I prefer her version over the Jackson 5. Uh, And maybe I've just heard it more or just kind of like what she does with it a little more. Being a a grown lady versus boys. But, you know, I always say, listen for yourself and decide. At number 68, there's a song by Johnny Bristol that I was going to include, but it's really just a placeholder for a later song of his that I want to share on the off chance we didn't ever get to it. But Johnny Bristol had a really distinctive sound and, you know, a negative person would say he just made the same song you know, use that same technique different times, but uh, I just think he had a very distinctive voice and the instrumentation and production techniques that he used uh, made him stand out. So stand by for, hopefully we'll get to that one that I really like. At number 43 is Paul McCartney and Wings with Junior's Farm. I just have said many times, I like their stuff and especially because of kind of the timeline of when it came out, there was not a lot of, you know, fun kind of poppy rock like this at the time. So it's a welcome change from some of the other stuff on the charts. There's two different versions of this song. The longer one includes the verse about we all chipped in for a bag of cement. And for many years, I had only heard the shorter version called the DJ edit. So when I heard that for the first time, it was like, you get a whole new verse. Wow. And I think it's, you need all the verses to me. I, in one of the, my seventies books, I read that this song was rumored to be a metaphor for the Ford administration, but the author could have also meant that as a joke. At number 32, we have a song called Fairy Tale by the Pointer Sisters. This will make it to number 13. And this song, as you can hear, has a very uh, country and western sound. And it actually won a Grammy for Best Country Vocal Performance by a Duo or Group. And there's a great video of the four sisters in concert doing this song along with some of their other uh, 70s hits. This came off of their second album, That's a Plenty, and it was written by Anita and Bonnie of the group. And then they were nominated for the Best Country Single, and the song songwriters get nominated for that one. And they did a couple other country songs and had garnered a Grammy nom again later. And they chalked their interest in country music up to the fact that their uh, family originally was from Arkansas. And this did hit number 37 on the country chart. Finally, from the 70s this week, at number 17 is I've Got the Music in Me by the Kiki D Band. This will make it to number 12, and it's off of the album of the same name. And I think I've put one of her songs on the chart uh, picks before. Uh, This is probably her signature song, apart from, you know, being on that duet with Elton John. And very cool song, a great uh, positive message. 
and this has been covered by many, many artists. I was surprised to learn when I was searching for it on Spotify. Uh, notably, uh, the ones that jumped out for me were Hart and Thelma Houston, Ronnie Millsap, and Tigers of Pantang. Um, and of course, uh, this was featured in the That 70s Show when uh, Kitty had kind of a daydream about if her family had their own variety show like the Brady Bunch. Worth checking out that video. It's a lot of fun. At, uh, now turning to the 80s, we're in November 21st of 1987. Starting off at number 81 is a song called Sweet Rachel by the group Boku. That's B-E-A-U-C-O-U-P. That made it to number 80. And Boku was a band out of Cleveland, Ohio. And they put out one EP and one album. This was off of the album. And the cover art is kind of cool. It's like a keyboard, you know, piano keys, but they're all kind of falling apart. This was the group's only charting single, but other songs of theirs were local hits in Cleveland. And, you know, I love being a Rachel, so I had to, even if this was terrible, I probably was going to include it, but it actually is kind of a cool song. It feels very of the time. At number 50 is True Faith by New Order. That would make it to number 32. This is off of their album Substance, and it was their first top 40 hit in the USA. Uh, it was their follow-up to Bizarre Love Triangle, which had only made it to number 98 on the pop chart, but it was at number four on the dance charts. And I saw that New Order had been much more successful on the dance side of things. And when I was listening to this, I realized I had heard it many times before. I just maybe didn't connect that it was New Order. And I had to confess, I probably thought it was Pet Shop Boys before. At number 31 is Yes with Love Will Find A Way. That would make it one more notch to number 30. And this is the first single off of their 12th album, Big Generator. Uh, that was the follow-up to 90125. So we're squarely in the Trevor Raven era here. So that was written by him. But apparently he intended it to be for Stevie Nicks. But then drummer Alan White convinced him that to let the band themselves have it. And Trevor sings lead vocals, but John and Chris are on backing vocals. And in one of my Yes books, it points out that the harmonica solo is done by Jimmy Zavala and basically they take a tone of like you probably thought it was Chris didn't you but no it's this Jimmy so that's interesting um, but yeah this was their uh, fifth of six singles to hit the top 40 in the US and it was a number one hit on the modern rock charts don't know a lot about those but they always come up for some of these rock songs that don't do as well on the pop charts at number 15, uh, speaking of, we have the Pet Shop Boys with their song, It's a Sin. This will make it to number nine. This is from their second studio album, Actually. And Neil Tennant has been quoted as saying, it was written in 15 minutes and intended as a camp joke. And so I think maybe people were taking it a little too seriously of maybe thinking of what his views on the church were and whatnot. Um, but I read that has been played on every Pet Shop Boys tour. And actually, I got to thinking about New Order and Pet Shop Boys and wondering if, you know, sometimes bands can be friends or they can be allies or sort of, you know, spur each other on and create creativity. And uh, it seems that they actually were on a tour together this year in 2022. And I found a really cool thread on a Pet Shop Boys uh, message board of a fan that had compared and contrasted the two bands. I would definitely encourage you to check that out. It seems like they worked with a lot of the same or at least some of the same producers which maybe have led to them having sort of similar, or could be perceived as similar sounds. I will say th these two songs themselves don't sound like each other other than when I heard that True Faith, it kind of sounded like a Pet Shop Boy jam. Please don't judge my ignorance and or honesty about said ignorance. 
At number nine, we have The Cutting Crew with I've Been In Love Before, and that was as high as that one would get. But, you know, I think it's worth mentioning, Cutting Crew may be seen by some as a one-hit wonder just because uh, I Just Died In Your Arms Tonight was so huge. But here they are with another, you know, top ten single, and a very good song. Um, it was it was the second single off of that album, Broadcast, their first album. I Honestly, I didn't know it until I was getting more into listening to the old charts and the old countdowns. And I think it's really a beautiful song. And, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for those, uh, you know, formal dance, slow dance type of songs. I, I feel like, uh, you know, Flock of Seagulls is kind of a similar thing of people think it's just Iran, but they have other, you know, good songs and highly and, you know, top 40 charting songs. And finally, from the 80s this week, Bruce Springsteen with his song Brilliant Disguise. And this was uh, number five was as high as that would get. And it was the first single off of his album Tunnel of Love. And I read on Wikipedia that Bruce had originally played all the instruments himself. And then later on, E Street band members had their parts overdubbed onto the master. And so, again, this is a number five hit, but I just don't think it's as super well known, at least nationally, maybe in his home state. It got more play or more attention or is more remembered but um it seems like the lyrics are very personal about him and his you know his personal life but i think anybody can appreciate it and get something out of it well that's all from me this week thanks so much for listening back to you andy thank you rachel awesome stuff as always This has been episode 256 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Loved by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.